Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's focus on our sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Dr. Salt. It's wonderful to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Today is the 20th of Kislev, so it means we're five days away from the wonderful festival of Hanukkah, the Chag of Hanukkah. So we're going to discuss Hanukkah and its relevance and its significance and its background in a few moments. But before we do, I just wanted to mention that today is the yacht site of Rabbi Yitzchak Hutna. Rabbi Hutna today is the 41st yacht site of Rabbi Hutna. He died in 1980. And he was the uh, great, brilliant Rosh Yeshiva of Chaim Berlin Yeshiva in New York. And uh, through his Yeshiva and his leadership, um, many, many Hundreds and thousands of Talmudim passed through the doors, and they, in fact, became the leaders of American Jewry um, in the 20th century. Rabbi Hutna was a very warm person, a very welcoming individual. And in fact, two of his main disciples, Rabbi Shlomo Freifeld and Rabbi Noach Weinberg, were the ones that opened up yeshivas for Balei Tshuva, for those that were returning to Judaism, following in the way and in the atmosphere and attitude of the Rebbe, Rav Hutna. Rav Hutna, his uh, understandings of the festivals and of deep um, philosophical um, uh, aspects of Judaism, of Torah, are very, very powerful. And they're recorded in his work called Pachad Yitzhak. It's a seven-volume work, uh, mainly based on the teachings of the Maharal of Prague. And um, so we, we learn Rav Hutna's Torah in Pachad Yitzhak, which is very powerful and very deep. And uh, something that Klai Israel um, has great value for, uh, even 41 years after his passing. Rav Hutna is buried in Yerushalayim, Ira HaKodesh, today being his 41st year site. Okay, so let's now discuss the wonderful, incredible festival of Hanukkah, which is coming up very shortly. Hanukkah begins on Sunday night. This Sunday night is first night Hanukkah. And we uh, celebrate Hanukkah for eight days. Now, what is Hanukkah? I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with why we celebrate Hanukkah, what happened. But let's talk a little bit about the background and then the significance of this important festival. The uh, great conqueror, Alexander, Alexander the Great, he was an incredible warrior. He was a very strong leader. He was a military genius. And he conquered much of the civilized world. And his Greek empire encompassed uh, most of the world at that time. In the year 323, Alexander was killed in battle to everybody's absolute shock and, and sadness. Um, certainly those in his empire were heartbroken that their powerful and charismatic leader had been killed. Um, and as is the case, very often when a powerful leader leaves the stage, so the empire that they leave behind is fought over by um, those that were waiting in the wings. And that is exactly what happened after Alexander's death in 323 before the Common Era. 
and the Greek Empire split into two. There was the Northern Empire and the Southern Empire. Israel was part of the Southern Empire. King Ptolemy was the one who ruled the Southern Empire. Um, in the year 200 BC, BCE, so King Antiochus uh, III, he was the king of the Northern Empire, and he conquered the Southern Empire. He, he defeated King Ptolemy, and that meant that Israel now felt uh, fell under the rule of the Northern Empire. And um, when Antiochus III died, his son Antiochus IV took over, and Antiochus IV was a terrible anti-Semite, and he was had a a, a vicious uh, approach to the Jews and to Judaism. It was the year 175 before the Common Era, and Antiochus IV issued a number of vicious decrees to um, the to his soldiers and to his commanders um, who ruled the land of Israel. And those decrees included prohibitions to observe the Torah. Antiochus IV saw that there was a battle, a spiritual battle, between Greek culture and Greek civilization and that of the Torah and that of the Torah outlook and the Torah worldview and Torah observance. So um, the learning of Torah was banned, the um, observance of Shabbos was banned, Brismila was banned. Basically, you couldn't manage to continue to be an observant Jew um, under Greek rule. And a number of leaders in the Jewish community rebelled against these harsh decrees, which were carried out in the, in the most vicious way, and in fact uh, punishable by death if uh, the, the, the Greek soldiers caught Jews um, transgressing what their decrees were, caught Jews observing Shabbos, observing the Torah, learning Torah, Brismila, etc. And so um, the Chashmonaim, Metisiyahu ben Yochan and Kohen Gadol, he was from the family of the Chashmonaim, they staged a rebellion against the Greeks because it was absolutely untenable and impossible to carry on our uh, religious Jewish life. And together with his five sons, Metisiyahu and his five sons, they led the rebellion. His five sons were Shimon, Yochanan, Eliezer, Yonasan, and Yehuda. And um, they built up a rebel army. And they these were Talmud Echachamim, these were Kohanim. These were not Navy SEALs. They were not trained for warfare. But they realized they had no choice and they had to um, had to rebel against the Greeks and fight against the Greeks that were so oppressive. And incredibly, they were very successful. And they, as their successes grew, so the army grew and they built a rebel army and they attacked the Greeks on their terms. In other words, they ambushed them. They introduced guerrilla warfare and the only time that they would take the Greeks on was when it was to their benefit when they were the terrain and the circumstances were in their favor and they selected their ambushes and their battles very very carefully and um, miraculously incredibly through God's help help through Seattle Deshmaya tremendous assistance from heaven they miraculously this band of Talmud Chachamim of Torah scholars uh, were able to defeat the most powerful army in the world of the, at the time. The Greek army was incredibly powerful. The Greek army was the first army to employ mercenaries, 
Some mercenaries from all over the world came to fight for the Greeks, and it was very lucrative for them. They paid them well. And this band of um, rabbis was now taking on the all-powerful Greek army, the superpower of the ancient world. And incredibly, they became such a thorn in their side and became such a headache to the Greeks that the Greeks figured it's better and it is more, uh, it's easier for us just to leave rather than to take on these fanatics, these, uh, these individuals that are staging guerrilla warfare against us. And so the Greeks left. And when they left, so they had destroyed much of, uh, the Jewish community. They had violated the daughters of Israel. They had desecrated the Beis Amigdash, the temple. And, um, they left, uh, ruin and the Jewish uh, community in Israel in, in shatters. And, uh, when they came to the Beis Amigdash, the Beis Amigdash had been contaminated, had been defiled. Um, they found one jar of oil with the stamp of the Kohen Gadol. And that jar of oil had enough oil to burn just for one day. And they would therefore have to go and, and produce more oil, more Shemen Zais Tahor, pure olive oil, because only pure olive oil, that's not Tame. There are many laws about purity and impurity at the times of temple. So it would take them a, a, another seven days to produce pure olive oil that was Tahor. And this jar that only had enough oil for one day miraculously burned for eight days. Another seven days of burn for, and that was the tremendous miracle that took place in that time. And so the sages of the time instituted that the Jewish people should, for all time, light the menorah um, for eight days, remembering these incredible miracles. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we're talking about the great miracle that took place at uh, where, during Hanukkah time, um, which was uh, 2,000 years, a little bit more than 2,000 years ago, about 2,300 years ago. And um, when the Hashmonai, Matisiyahu, and his five sons were successful in defeating the Greeks, and the Greeks left the land of Israel, so they found the single jar of oil in the place where the temple was, and that single jar of oil had enough oil to burn on the menorah for one day, and it burned for eight days. And so our sages instituted that for all future generations, on the same time of year, the same date, the 25th of Kislev, which is on Sunday night, we should all be lighting our own menorahs and remembering the wonderful miracles that took place um, and how Hashem saved our ancestors, our forefathers, and our um, the, the, the Jewish people from the terrible danger and oppression of the Greeks. And it was a, a very spiritual-focused battle, which we'll discuss in a moment. But uh, that is the mitzvah. So we should all fulfill that mitzvah. We should all light our menorah. And uh, we follow the opinion of the Mahadran Mina Mahadran of Beis Hillel. And we, late, uh, and we light um, one candle on the first night. And we encourage 
increase each night. So the second night we light two, and the third night we light three. The ideal way to fulfill the mitzvah is with olive oil. Just as the mitzvah was done with olive oil, the miracles took place with the oil. So we try and light with oil as well. If one is not able to get oil, um, so then one can use wax candles. But be very careful that your candles burn for long enough. Those little uh, birthday cake candles, which burn for about three minutes, on that you don't fulfill the mitzvah with those. The burning of the candles has to be at least a half an hour. So it needs to be long candles or tea lights work well because they burn for nice and long. And so we light, the different opinions when to light, what time to light. And in Chutzlar, it's most follow um, the opinion that we light um, 20 minutes after sunset. So sunset on Sunday night is 5.45, 6.45. So candle lighting is then 7.05. 7.05 is lighting of Hanukkah candles. And in the diaspora, we don't light at the entrance to our houses like they do in Israel. We light inside our houses. So we light, the, the ideal place to light would be the um, room you're entering into um, where you where everybody's going to be at that time. So like the living room or the dining room, the entrance to the living room or the dining room. On the left-hand side will be your menorah. The right-hand side is the mezuzah on the doorway. Left-hand side, there should be a table that's higher than 30 centimeters and below one meter. And you light your menorah over there at that table. Um, say the blessings. First night we say three blessings. You can find them in the Siddur. And the second night we say the two blessings. And we light the candles. And um, the candles should burn, as I mentioned, at least for half an hour after they lit. Um, when we're lighting on the Erev Shabbos, it has to be longer than that because the candles are supposed to burn for half an hour after dark. So when you're lighting on the Erev Shabbos a bit earlier, they should burn probably for at least an hour and a half. And that is the beautiful, wonderful, special mitzvah of lighting the menorah on Hanukkah. And everybody should make an effort to do so and to fulfill the mitzvah and to light their own menorah and to remember the light of Torah and how the light of Torah defeats the darkness of Greek culture and Greek hedonism. And that's very applicable today in our society, in our times, because that's Worldview of hedonism, of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die, is prevalent in our society, and uh, much of the world follows those principles and wants to um, indulge and um, have a a hedonistic um, existence in this world and grab as much pleasure that one can for oneself. And that's the antithesis of the Jewish view of life. The Jewish view of life is not just about the body not just about physical um, gratification and pleasure. And the Greeks, even they even um, didn't worship, but they idealized and they emphasized the greatness of the human mind, not only the body, but the mind. But it was all, it was all about the here and now. It was all about the material, physical world and the physical existence of a human being and the intellect of a human being. But as Jews, we take it a step further. And we say this physical world is just a means to our existence, but it's all in order to live a spiritual life. It's all, it's only a vehicle in order to develop our soul and to give voice to our soul and to connect with Hashem, to connect with the divine, to reach out beyond our finite physical selves. So the physical existence is just a means in order to facilitate our spiritual journey. Um, whereas most of the world says that there's no such a thing as a spiritual journey. That there's no God, that there's no soul, that what there is here is com completely random and accidental, and when you die, that's the end. 
That's how much of the world sees life. That's how the Greeks saw life. And therefore, we glorify and, um, and maximize our pleasure in the physical world. Now, the Jewish view, as mentioned, is, is, is much deeper than that, goes way beyond that, and, um, and realizes that the physical is just a, is a, is quite superficial. And it's no, the purpose of life is not to, um, develop ourselves physically, but rather to allow for the soul to, to thrive and for the soul to connect with truth and with eternity and with God. Now, one of the interesting aspects of Hanukkah is that, and we actually say this, we say Al-Hanisim, that's a prayer that we add to our, our, our Amidah, that we have in our silent meditation that we say three times a day. So we add the paragraph of Al-Hanisim in Moedim, in the Moedim prayer. And we also add Al-Hanisim to our Biokas uh, to our benching during Hanukkah. And interestingly enough, the celebrations of Hanukkah are of a spiritual nature. The celebrations of Purim of a physical nature. So we know in Purim, Haman, um, who was a descendant of Amalek, wanted to wipe out the Jewish people physically. So that's like the Nazis, like Hitler. Hitler was not interested in, in as long as you were of Jewish descent, wanted to kill you, wanted to remove you from this earth. And that was um, the time of Purim. And therefore the celebrations of Purim are of, of a physical nature. We have a Suda, we uh, give Tzedakah, we... Um, Enjoy the the uh, have a very physical um, celebration. We we drink wine on Purim. On Hanukkah, the celebration is spiritual. On Hanukkah, there's no mitzvah to have a suda. If you get together with friends and family, um, and you s- say divrei Torah and you sing words of praise to Hashem, so then it could be a suda's mitzvah, but you're not obligated to do so because on Hanukkah the focus is shevach vohada, praise and thanks to Hashem for the miracle. So they wanted to destroy us spiritually, so we celebrate in a spiritual way. We light the menorah, and we sing praises, and we thank Hashem for the miracles that happened then and the miracles that happen now. And one of the outstanding aspects of Hanukkah, and that's what we say in the Al-Hanisim prayer, is we say, Rabim biyad ma'atim, that many fell in the hands of a few. Um, and we were in the minority, the Jewish Soldiers were a very small number. The Jewish population was small and always is small. We always seem to be very small, Israel, the Jewish people. We see an amazing thing. Josephus, who was the great historian um, at the times of the Roman conquest of the land of Israel, that was uh, in the year 50 before the Common Era, was, uh, was uh, about 200 years after Hanukkah. So Josephus says that the Jews were 10% of the Roman Empire, which was about 5 million people. So if 2,000 years ago we were 5 million people, at that time there were 6 million Chinese in the world. Today, what we have, 1.6, uh, billion Chinese in the world. Imagine a billion Jews in the world. There wouldn't be a piece of undeveloped real estate in the entire globe if we had a billion Jews um, in the world. So, but we were small, and we always seemed to remain small. And that's what the Pasuk says, Mi'at atem, mi'kolamim. You are small amongst the nations. You are a small number. And that's always the case. That was the case in Hanukkah, Rabim biyad mi'atim, and that's the case today. And that's not coincidental. That's not accidental. Hashem keeps our numbers small, 
Because Hashem wants us to realize that each and every Jew and Jewess, all of us, we all have a vital, critical role to play in this world. We are, none of us are in the audience. None of us are spectators. We are all playing. We are all on the field. We're all on the stage. Every single one of us has an important role to perform. You know, there's the famous story that they tell that um, there was a town, a little town in, in Litza. And in that little town, they had 10 Jewish families. 10 Jewish men lived in that town. And every single day, they had a minion. And then one day, an 11th family moved in. And the next day, there were seven guys at the minion. Because when there are others... We say, let somebody else do it. Don't bother me. Now, why do I have to take the responsibility? Don't look to me. But Hashem wants us to realize that our numbers are small and we do look to you. That every single Jew is critical, is vital, and is essential to the, uh, to the purpose, to Klal Yisrael fulfilling its purpose in this world. There's no surplus of Jews. There's no extra Jews. Every single individual is vital, is critical, and is needed in the destiny of Klal Yisrael, of the Jewish people. And that's how we even see in modern Jewish history that it's the same pattern. We see it repeated as well. In 1948, there were seven Arab armies that declared war on this fledgling Jewish state that was just hours after the Jewish state was established that they declare war. There were 650,000 Jews that were in Israel at the time. Um, there were tens of millions of Arabs that surrounded them in the Arab countries that declared war on the Jewish people. We were way outnumbered. We had no IDF. We had no Israel Air Force. It was just a stubborn group of people that had nowhere else to go. And God helped them against all odds. And they were successful. You know, you read the revisionist historians that distort the facts, that change the facts. And say that, you know, the, 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 the Jews who had the upper hand in, in the War of Independence. That's not true at all. They were disorganized. They were, they were re mainly refugees that coming from Europe and had nowhere else to go. And they miraculously and incredibly were able to defeat um, seven well-armed and well-organized Arab armies. Quite unbelievable. So that is Rabin Biat Matim. So that's the Hanukkah miracle in our modern day. That was that happened 70 years ago. Uh, the Six Day War is no different. The Six Day War, 1967. So the three strongest armies of the Middle East declared war on Israel and were about to. They constantly said that they're going to destroy all the Jews, murder all the Jews, and in, and quite unbelievably, um, the IDF was successful and they were able to defeat the Egyptian Air Force. Um, before they could get off the ground in the early hours of the war. And uh, they were miraculously, again, miracle upon miracle, were successful, rabim biad ma'atim, many in the hands of the few. 1973 war, the Yom Kippur war, a uh, very famous commander in that war, Avigdor Kaalani, he was a tank commander, he describes how in the Golan Heights, at one stage there were 70 Israeli tanks, versus 1,400 Syrian tanks. And his the battalion alone destroyed 300 Syrian tanks in Emek Habakkar. And it's just, you know, it's Derech Neis, miracle upon miracle. And that is the story of the Jewish people. That's how it's been for thousands of years, the Rabin Biad Ma'atim, many in the hands of the few, the few that stand up, the few that realize their responsibility, 
and their duty and their destiny and their role in being a part of the Jewish people, in carrying forward the torch of the Jewish people, in embracing the, the mission and the role of the Jewish people in this world on this planet. So we see even in modern Jewish history that Rabbin Be'ad Me'atim follows all the way through and the miracles of Hanukkah were not just a once-off, but they repeat themselves in, uh, in all the generations. And as we've very clearly seen with the State of Israel. Please stay with us. We'll be back shortly. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're discussing how the principle in Hanukkah, Rabbi many in the hands of the few, is consistent throughout the history of the Jewish people. And the heroes that lead the Jewish people, like Metasiel and his five sons, they continue to emerge amongst the Jewish people. And so I would like to mention a hero, a modern-day hero of the Jewish people, and that's Eliyahu David K, who unfortunately was murdered by terrorists on Sunday um, in the old city of Jerusalem. And Eliyahu David Eli was a, a person who loved Israel and loved the Jewish people and was very serious about fulfilling his role and his task um, in playing his part for Klal Yisrael, for the Jewish people. And Rambad Matim, he realized that the Jewish people are few and realized that he had to stand up and play his part. And he certainly did so. And he died, Al-Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying God's name. He died holding his tefillin and holding a safer on his way to the Western Wall. Um and uh, as we all know, a South African who made Aliyah a few years ago, he went to, he served his time in Tahal, in the Israeli army. And he was somebody who is a, was a real inspiration to those around him. And very tragically was taken, was murdered by um, terrorists in the old city. And so he is a perfect example of the few, of the few Jews that we are standing up and, and uh, facing our destiny and fulfilling our purpose in God's world. And that's uh, an amazing, there's an amazing story that I heard from Rabbi Beryl Wine about the grandfather of the president of Israel. The president of Israel today is Isaac Herzog, and his grandfather, Rabbi Isaac Alevi Herzog, was the first chief rabbi of Israel. He was from um, Irish descent, and he became the chief rabbi, a, a very powerful um, very distinguished individual, and Rabbi Wan tells the story that he was a young boy. Rabbi Wan was born in Chicago, and as a 12-year-old boy, Rabbi Herzog came to visit um, Chicago, and many of the um, the community went to to greet him at the airport and welcome him. This great distinguished rabbi. Rabbi Wan talks of how regal he was, descending from the steps of the plane, holding a Tanakh in one hand and a, a rabbinic cane, silver cane in the other hand. And he gave them a shear at the yeshiva in Baba Matsya. And um, he said to them, after he finished teaching them Torah, um, so he looked out at the boys in front of him, and he said to them, I've just come back from the Vatican, and I met with the Pope, 
and I presented him with records of 10,000 Jewish children who were taken in by Christians during the Shua, during the Holocaust. And he said to the Pope, give us our children back. And the Pope refused. And he leant over and he cried. Rabbi Herzog cried and cried like a baby. Rabbi Wein said he had never seen a grown man cry like that. And then he rose up like a lion. And he said, there's nothing I could do for those children. But there's something I could do for you. What are you going to do for the Jewish people? What part are you going to play in the story of the Jewish people? And each and every one of you needs to apply yourselves and stand up to the challenge and play your part in building Klal Yisrael, in building the Jewish people. And that's really the story of Hanukkah. That's, that's the, that's one of the most powerful messages of Hanukkah is that the Rabbin Bad Ma'atim, the few of the Jewish people, we all have to understand that we are part of that few and we all have to ask ourselves, what are you going to do for the Jewish people? What role are you going to play in building the Jewish people? And it's an amazing thing. I saw that just this week, President Herzog, which is the grandson of Rav Isaac Halevi Herzog, he, he actually was in England and he presented the Genesis Prize to, um, to posthumously to uh, Rabbi Sachs, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Um, and he said Rabbi Sachs reminded him of his grandfather because Rabbi Sachs was somebody who was so inclusive, although fully committed to Torah Judaism, was somebody who embraced the Jewish people and reached out to and uh, inspired all of Klai Israel, all of the Jewish people, just like his 